Thank you, guys. Yeah, be sure to, if you don't know names, get some names before you leave and, and ask how you can be praying. It's kind of our first in-country mission trip that we've done as a church. Um, we're about to hit our 14th birthday in October, and uh, we've never done kind of an in-country deal. We've gone out, but this will be our first, and so uh, we're excited. And if you want to go to Boston next year, um, connect with us. We'd love to, we'd love to send you, too. Uh, today, we are wrapping up uh, our kind of our summer series in the book of Philippians, and uh, I want to read the way Philippians started quickly, because kind of the passage that we're looking at today serves as like the second bookend. You know, we, you know bookends kind of hold everything up, and, and Paul started this letter in a unique way um, in reference to the epistles, but also uh, he started it because the people of Philippi were unique. Uh, because he had a partnership that existed with them that didn't exist with anybody else, and they, they behaved and they functioned and they lived in a very different way. And the whole book is just different. It's very encouraging. Um, there's, there's really not a whole, a whole lot of rebuke in the book of Philippians, which is rare. Uh, you know, there's that little thing that we looked at last week about Euodia and Syntyche, but, you know, that was almost like maybe kind of a center pin for the whole book to let people think about what we've learned and apply it. But he started off with this, chapter 1, verse 3. And he said, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion or fulfillment at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul set a tone for the book of Philippians of, number one, saying thank you, but number two, I have hopes for you. Like, I have, I have desires for you based upon the fact that I'm kind of like your spiritual father, but, but, you know, I also came in when you already knew about the one true God, yet you needed to be filled in a little more about the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us access to God, not through law, but through grace. And so he's like, yeah, I want to thank you. And when I think of you, I have great affection for you. And now just let me, let me impart some wisdom on you, update you about my life and what's going on, but just give you some more wisdom, encourage you to continue. Today, as we look at chapter 4, starting in verse 10, he kind of has some, some closing remarks and some ideas. Last week, we kind of said he had parting wisdom, part 1. This is kind of parting wisdom, part 2. Um, and it's, it's the other bookend. It's kind of, he, he opened it with these ideas. I'm grateful. I want to encourage you. I want to give you some more things. And this, he's kind of doing the same thing. He's going to encourage. He's going to say thank you. And then he's going to give just like kind of two pieces of, th- of two pieces of wisdom that we're going to look at today and think through. Um, but I will warn you, there's a verse in here that makes its way onto bumper stickers, tattoos, um, pageant quotes, uh, athletes' favorite verses, things like that. And in saying that, I'll tell you that 99.76% of the time, accurate, accurate number is taken out of context. Taken completely out of context. Today, I want to reiterate something that we say frequently, like context is everything when we're trying to understand what Scripture's saying. Like, we can look at linguistics, we can do everything, but we have to ask ourselves, what is going on around a particular verse, idea, syntax, structure, all of that, to help us understand what exactly is being said here? So we're going to tackle that when we get there in just a minute. So let me pray, and we're going to jump in chapter 4, verse 10, read through the end of the book, and then come back and, and talk through it. 
God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you so much that uh, your love is on display perfectly and fully uh, in the person, the work, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that through him we can know you, be known by you, and make you known. God, thank you that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which you give us as a seal of our salvation, you allow us to understand the mysteries of you, the mysteries of the gospel, the, uh, even the sequence of events in which you lay out so that we may know you. God, thank you for grace. Today, as we look at your word, I pray that we do not add anything or take anything away. Uh, we're faithful to see what you intended for us to see and hear. And God, through it, you make us look more and more like Jesus. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. So, starting chapter 4, verse 10, we're going to go ahead and read through 23, and then we'll, we'll pick back up at the top and talk through it. So he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's that verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share, share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my need once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. By the way, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Uh, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul, wrapping up his letter, I think uh, it's one of these places to where the word is transliterated into English several times of finally, like he says that about three times in the book of Philippians, but he's really there now, like he's really at the finally, or we're here. Um, and he just, he just kind of jumps in and he starts, he starts with just rejoicing in the Lord greatly now at, the length, at length that you have revived your concern for me. Um, he he kind of starts it the way that he started the whole book. He's like, look, I, I'm incredibly grateful that you've taken care of me. Like, I, I'm very, very grateful. I'm grateful that it says revived your concern. But understand, like what we talked about, this is 10 years past when he first visited, uh, which we see in Acts chapter 16. 10 years, a decade has passed. Um, and, you know, since that time, Paul didn't stay in any one place very long. And so, but the, only, the first place that they started to support him, which we'll see referenced in just a second, is when he left the chief region of Macedonia, which was Philippi, and he went, uh, he went to Thessalonica. And as soon as he left the people of Philippi, they were like, we're, we're going to help you. Thank you for staying around. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for introducing us to Jesus. Uh, you guys are great. We love you. We believe in the gospel like you do. We want to partner with you. So from the time that he left, they had been supporting him. But since that time, like he had kind of bounced around from place to place to place. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that uh, you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He was like, up until now, I haven't been in any one place long enough or close enough that you even, A, knew that I was there, or B, had a way to get anything to me. But the fact that Paul's in prison, um, he's kind of probably in prison for the last time. Like we talked about, he'll be released most likely for a little while, and then he'll be martyred. Uh, but he's, he's been stuck in this place for a little while. 
you know, kind of like that Princess Bride situation like we talked about. You know, uh, you did a good job today. Um, get some rest. For tomorrow, you'll likely die. He's kind of in that place right there. And so, but either way, he's stuck. And they had the opportunity to send someone 800-some-odd miles, which probably took six, eight, ten months for them to get there. And so they had a place where they could actually support Paul. And he's like, I'm really grateful that you remembered me. Up until now, you really haven't had a chance to do anything for me. Not that I really needed it, but you wanted to, and I'm incredibly grateful. And so he says, thank you for that. And then he speaks in verse 11, like I said, thank you for taking care of me. Verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for he talks about a lesson. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul just kind of says, look, I know that you've you sought to take care of me. You sent me things that you felt that I needed, and I really didn't need them. I'm incredibly grateful. I'm not downplaying what you did, um, but I've learned a lesson through all of this. Because you have to understand, Paul's journeys have been, uh, they've been movie-worthy. Like, they've been all over the place. Like, he's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. Uh, he's had enough. He's had very little. He hasn't had any. All of those things. And he's like, through all of these times and all of these places, I had this travel companion with me. Not just a travel companion, but like the captain of my ship. And he's taught me a lesson, something that I've learned. And he says, I've learned to be content, which we'll talk about more in just a minute. But I do want to pitch out there one thing about contentment before we, we spend more time there towards after we go through the text. Um, I do want to say contentment is not the same thing as patience. Contentment is not the same thing as patience. Very often we believe that contentment is, I will wait until things get better. I will wait until I have more. And so I will be patient. It's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about contentment. Contentment is, I am here, this is my circumstance, and I'm good. Whether it changes or not, I'm good. He said, I've learned a lesson. He said, I've learned that in all situations, in all circumstances, regardless of what I have, what I don't have, how good things are, how bad things they are, I've learned that I'm content, that I'm okay. So he continues on in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned, here we go, man, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the context of verse 13. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Greek even makes this particular text a little, a little more difficult. The NIV adds, I can do all these things, but the understanding in reality is uh, the Greek text is much more sparse. The Greek text with word order is it just says, for all things I have strength in the one strengthening me. That's it. But I do think when we consider this verse, like we have to take two things into account, the immediate context and the broader context, which we'll talk about in just a minute, so that we understand that this is not a superhero verse, so that we understand that this is not placing Jesus in a bottle that's shaped like, you know, a golden urn that we saw in Aladdin that we rub, and something pops out and gives us what we need. We have to understand there's context at play, immediate and broader context, which we'll talk about in just a few and then he kind of changes gears, and he says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He's like, again, I'm, I'm really grateful. You've seen my predicament. You've seen my circumstance. I'm grateful that you partnered with me. That was, that was incredibly kind. And he said, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Again, he talks about the uniqueness of the people of Philippi. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. You are not normal. You people are, are, are way better, above average. You're, you're really, really good. And again, very encouraging. 
Verse 16, he said, even in Thessalonica, the next place he went, he said, you sent help for me, my needs once and again, over and over. In verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The first section that we, we looked at before he kind of changed gears was a lot about the person that's in a place in need of receiving. But this second part, this second chunk of text, he's, he's kind of talking about what it looks like to be the person giving, receiving and giving. And just to reread verse 16, he said, Even in Thessalonica you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In this particular place, he's, we see that Paul's looking out for more than just what he received. But even here, just like the rest of the letter, he's actually looking out for the growth of the people at Philippi. He's like, you know, it's great that you took care of me. He said, but my chief concern is what you giving has done for you. What you giving has done for you. He begins to lay out this idea that that giving is not just two-way. You know, it's not just from person A to person B, which that does happen, but it's more of like this, this triangle idea when giving's involved, that there are usually at least three parties, the giver, the receiver, but in this case, God's involved too. And the lines of, of travel go both ways between all three points. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but if you're looking at a triangle and we've got a, a giver over here and a receiver over here, the giver gives to the receiver and the receiver honors God with what they had, but yet we start over and it's God who gave to the giver to give to the receiver who honors God with what they had. But at the same time, when God gives to the giver and the giver gives to the receiver, the receiver gives back to God, like it comes back around too because God honors the giver who got from the receiver whose faith is being built by God who gave it all in the beginning. And I know that just that doesn't make sense at all, but understand that our giving is just not about me, it's just not about you, but it's actually about what God's going to do in both directions for all parties involved. And then there's actually the fourth party involved of the people who are benefactors. In Paul's case, the people who are benefactors are the ones that are hearing the gospel for the very first time. Those that are getting to experience the newness of life because Paul's being supported to go and do and say and do all the things that he's done. So giving is this three-way communication idea in relationship. And if that didn't make sense to you, I didn't really intend it to, just, just take me at my word today. It's more than just about you and about them. It's about what God does in both. So continuing on in verse 19, and he, after he says, like, look, what you sent through Epaphroditus, it was a fragrant offering. They didn't really send him a fragrant offering that was metaphor, but he was just saying, what you sent to me, man, God was pleased with that. Again, the triangle. What you gave to me was not about you. It was not about me. It was actually about God. You were honoring God by giving to me. And I think one of the things that's hard for us when we think about being generous and we think about giving to the work and the mission of God is we do think it's about the person that's receiving it. We think it's about the church that's involved. We think it's about, look, we're giving my first fruits to this organization, but I didn't make the book, so I don't know if I can really do it. But the fact of the matter is God is asking us to honor him by trusting that what we're giving is going to be used by him, even though we're giving it with someone else's name on the check. We'll come back to it. I don't want to tick you off too early just yet. In verse 19, Paul assures them, and he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he said, I just want you to know, um, God's going to take care of you. Like my God, your God, our God, collectively, the family of God, one dad, one family, one Savior, one Spirit, like that God, he's going to take care of you. He owns it all. 
he's going to provide. And then 21 through 23 is just kind of his final greetings, and, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I do love the fact that he says, hey, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. All of you people that are followers of Christ, you are now saints. You're no longer sinners. Greet them all individually. Um, and he says, the brothers who are here with me, they greet you. You know, these guys, they say hello. And then he says this. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Just want to point out, Paul's in prison, okay? He's in prison in Rome. And even in chapter 1, he said, I want you to know, and I want you to be fully aware, hey, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Towards the end of this book, he's like, oh, by the way, there are even people in Caesar's household. And that's capital C, Caesar. That's not lowercase c, Caesar. It's capital Caesar, the Caesar. He's like, there's even people in Caesar's household now that believe, and they want to say hi. They want to say hello. Thank you for supporting me even in prison as a result of what God is doing here, even Caesar's household, even Caesar's household. So anyway, so I think with, with this whole text in mind, there are, there are a couple things that for us, like we're, we're not the people of Philippi, but there's still some similar struggles. Like when we read scripture, we have to ask like, what did it mean then? And what does it still mean now? Not changing the truth of scripture, but we do have to ask like, what was cultural? What's eternal? And there's a couple things here that are eternal that we need to look at. Number one is just the idea of contentment. The idea of contentment. Because I do believe, like, as the American church, number one, just openly confess, we struggle with it every single day. Every single day. I can't speak about the, the church in China. I can't speak about the church in Sudan and India because I'm not there. I know what I read and I know they have much less, and I know that their following of Jesus could cost them every single day, uh, but I can speak about the church here in the United States, and I do believe that one of our biggest struggles that's in contrast and in, in just opposition to the gospel is our ability to understand contentment, to understand contentment. Paul just kind of tosses it out there very early, like, I'm really grateful that you sought to take care of me, but understand, I have no needs because I've learned a lesson. And that lesson is how to be content in all things, in all places, in all circumstances. I've learned to be content. And if we look at the journey of Paul, we can look that his learning most likely took place, number one, by the oversight of the Holy Spirit in his life, but then through the circumstances that he endured day in, day out, week in, journey in, journey out. Like that is what taught him how to be content. The oversight of the Holy Spirit, but then his circumstances taught him exactly what he needed to know about contentment. The first thing that we need to know about contentment, like in the scope of this, in the context of these ideas, and this sounds very, very complex, so just hold on. Contentment is necessary. I know that sounds so complex, but I'm, I'm just going to make it, I'm just going to throw it out there. Contentment is necessary. Contentment is necessary. And before I say why it's necessary and, and what it does, again, I just want to remind us, contentment is not the same thing as patience. Contentment's not the same thing as patience. Contentment is not, God, my circumstances are bad, and I will wait patiently and expectantly for you to change them. That's not contentment. Contentment is, I am living in this place and time and circumstance now, and I'm okay. I'm good. Contentment is necessary. The reason contentment is necessary is because without it, Without contentment, and this is speaking about physical, financial contentment. We're not talking about spiritual. We're not talking about relational. We're talking about financial contentment in this context. Like if we are, say for instance, we've been brought low. Paul says, I've been brought low. 
I've had all these things, but speaking of the brought low time, if we don't have contentment in the brought low phase and God has a mission for us, the problem is without contentment, we will be fighting for more, more than we'll be fighting for the gospel. Without contentment. Because God's already set us on a mission, on a path. Every one of us, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3 lets us know that we are all ministers, all servers of the gospel, not just those called deacons and pastors, but every one of us are a fragrance reminding all people at all times and all places of the goodness of Christ that rests for those who believe. We're all servers of this gospel. We've all been placed on a mission already, but if we are striving to increase our bottom line instead of the gospel, the gospel will always take second, third, fourth fifth, sixth place without contentment. That's if we've been brought low. Like if we've been brought low, like without contentment, we will fight for more before we fight for Jesus. That's the human condition. That's the human condition. And, and, and I guarantee, like anecdotally, like if I ask you to raise your hands and say, in those times when things were very, very lean, what dominated your thoughts? What dominated your thoughts was how can I get more? I've, I've been confessional. I, I've told you, like, I'm good. Like, 28 days out of the month, I, I'm, I'm good at contentment. You know, it's the, it's the other two to three days a month, depending on how long the months are. Now, that leap year February thing, it throws my whole equation off. But, you know, 28 to, to 31 days out of the month, I'm, I'm good. I'm content. I've learned, like I'll say, I've learned to be content. But then there's those two or three days, two or three days. And I know you're looking and you're like, man, you're a church planting pastor. I know you have more than be brought low. Like you're doing really well. Yeah, that's, that's not a topic for today. Either way, we're good. But I know that there's those two to three days a month where I'm just like, God, I just wish there was a little more. And on those days where I'm seeking more, I'm not seeking Jesus. That's me. Now, I don't know if that's you. I'm not going to put that on you, Ricky Bobby. But for me, that's me. On those days where I'm more concerned about the more I'm not concerned with the enough, and I'm not concerned with the gospel. So on those days, without contentment, if we've been brought low, we will fight for more, more than we'll fight for Jesus. And then on those days in which it's the opposite of the been brought low, you know, Paul says, look, I've been in all of these places. I've learned that in whatever situation I'm to be content, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In those abounding times, here's the struggle. You're like, man, well, well what could be the struggle when we have enough? Because there's never enough. We all know very much, very well, the disease of more, too. Just like the disease of I don't have enough, there's always the disease of more. And again, even in those times in which there's a surplus, if contentment's not there, the surplus won't be enough. We want more. Or we'll be fighting just to figure out how to keep it. One or the other. Whether we're low, whether we're high, whether we're in between, without contentment, if it is not there, we will always be fighting for something other than the gospel other than the gospel. And this is not to say not to work. This is not to say just to, to rest and not do anything. It's not saying that, but it's saying that obedience to the, mess, the mission that God has placed us on is primary. Like we've said it many times in the course of the book of Philippians, like the gospel is primary, Jesus is primary, and here the mission is primary. It has to be. And in those days when we're not content, it will not be. It will not be. Now, we're just talking about financially. Now, I could be a little bit eisegetical, read things in the Scripture here, talk about relationships and other things like that. We need to be content in those areas, too. This text is not, it's not talking about that, but there's some truths that could carry over. But either way, we're talking about stuff. Stuff. Contentment's necessary. Without it, man, we will fight to get more. We will fight to keep what we have, or we'll fight to get more and more and more than enough. 
The first thing about contentment is necessary. The second thing about contentment, and this is vital for us to understand, grace is given, contentment is learned. Grace is given, contentment is learned. I want to say that again. It should free some of you. (laughs) It may perplex others. Grace is given, contentment is learned. And the reason I want to say that is because, number one, Paul says it. Like Paul says, look, I know that you've given all this stuff to me. Uh, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, which we'll get to in just a minute. Contentment is learned. Now, there is... There's a unifying idea that has to take place before we learn it, but I do want to just point out that God will use our circumstances to teach us what it means to be content. And that can be scary. Like, I know, like Paul's conversion, drastic and dramatic. But I can assure you, like even in reference to early parts of Romans when he's like, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why can't I do the things that I do want to do? The flesh and the spirit battle. I, I can assure you very likely that there were times in which the battle that he was facing is like, God, I know that you've given me enough, but I still feel like I need more. But God perpetually put him in places where he had to learn the lesson of contentment and what it looked like, what it felt like, what it smelled like, what it tasted like, all of the senses involved. Contentment is learned. And very often, the way that we will learn it, number one, the oversight of the Holy Spirit, pointing us, directing us, sending us, letting us endure sometimes, letting us experience at other times places in which we don't have enough, places in which we have more than enough, but understanding at the end of it, we just have to be okay with what we have. Okay with what we have. We have to learn the lesson. And and just in, man, full disclosure, It's unlikely that the lesson will be learned in 24 hours. God could do it. God's completely capable. He could teach you that lesson quickly. You may learn it in 24 hours and forget it in 72, but most likely it's going to be a process. Grace is given. Contentment is learned. Oversight of the Holy Spirit through our circumstances, through the things that we see, experience in life. Paul learned it. Paul had been on this road for a while now. And he had seen all the highs, all the lows, everything in between. And through it all, God had time to teach him, to train him, to equip him. I think this is one of those things that saddle time gives us. By saddle time, I just mean the longer we've been in the saddle with Jesus, pursuing him on his path, on his horse, like he's going to teach us what it looks like to be content. So if you're not content... Like, here, here's the application, number one. Understand, grace is given, contentment is learned. Um, you may have to ask this, and this is a very dangerous prayer. If you're experiencing that place where you see that contentment's necessary and you don't have it because you're either fighting for more or fighting to keep what you do have or fighting for more and more, if that's you and you understand that contentment is learned, maybe the question you need to ask, the way in which you go to God with petition, kind of like we talked about last week, in thankfulness is you say, God, teach me what it means to be content. And that's a scary request. Because again, sometimes in order to learn, we have to experience. And that may mean to be brought low. It may mean the excess. But either way, if you ask God to teach you, he can. But I will say that's one of those dangerous ones. 
Necessary, but dangerous. Contentment is necessary. Contentment is learned. But here's the thing that has to happen before we can even learn it. Verse 13. Again, context is everything. Everything. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's not talking about a five foot seven guy dunking a basketball in the NBA. I'm never going to dunk a basketball. Not on a 10 foot goal. You know, I couldn't have done it before my accident. I definitely can't do it now. My leg would probably break again. I can't do it. It's not going to happen. Okay, Muggsy Bogues, yeah, amazing. Okay, genetic freak. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, like, that is one reason that I like the NIV. It, it does add context. It's a word that's not there, but it says, I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. The immediate context that we're looking at here, Paul's talking about while living on mission in obedience with Jesus, it doesn't matter what I have. It doesn't matter what I have. My strength is not determined by my stuff. I need to say it again. In the context of the mission of God, following God in obedience, my strength is not determined by my stuff. My strength is only determined by God. My ability, my capability, my capacity, my equipping is only determined by God, not my stuff. Only determined by God, not my stuff. And I think we have to go beyond that to understand that it is not simply that God will provide, but God is the provision. It is not that simply God will provide, but we must understand that God himself through Christ is the provision. The strength that Paul is referencing is not the abundance or the lack thereof. It is the just the surpassing knowledge and worth of knowing Jesus being indwelled by the Spirit that equips those who have been called to perform and live out the mission of Jesus just with him. God is the provision. Regardless of what I have, Regardless of what I don't have, in high, in low, in everything in between, God is the provision. He is the source of our strength. He is the source of our direction. He is the source of our equipping. He is the supply. But when we get off for a minute and we start to think, no, 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 I'm, I'm equipped by what I have, we stop believing that God's capable and we start thinking that we are. It's not simply that God will provide, but that God is the provision. That's the secret to contentment. That's the secret to contentment. Knowing that everything we need, believe it or not, is just Jesus. Everything we need, believe it or not, is just Jesus. And you say, well, I need food. Yeah, you do need food. You say, I need rest. You do need rest. God's already told us he'll supply. Remember that, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Look at the birds of the field. Look at the, fly, look at the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Have you ever thought that they, they worked one single day about what they need? God took care of them, and he loves you more than them. So don't worry about what you'll have tomorrow. Don't worry about what you'll have today. Just seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Does it mean that you're going to be wealthy? I don't know, but it means that what you need to continue on, God will provide. 
at the source of this idea of being content. Number one, like I said, it's, it's understanding that it's not that what God will provide, that he is the provision, but it's two, just trusting that he's got us. Trusting that he's capable. Trusting that he's able. Regardless of circumstance. And man, I know that's hard because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Our bank account declares that we have to have enough in order to continue. But again, the gospel doesn't make sense either. I mean, again and again and again, we look at it, checks and balances, the gospel doesn't make sense. There's no way that Jesus should have paid my debt. No reason. Nothing in me worthy of that. Not a single thing. Not a single good work, not a single good thought, not a single good deed is worthy of Christ dying on the cross for me. And just to give it away, there's not a single good deed that you've ever done that's worth Christ dying on the cross for you. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up. This is one more of those places where we see that the gospel is completely other than everything we've ever understood or experienced. It's completely other than. Our strength doesn't come from stuff. God, it's not just about what God can provide. It's about him being the provision. It does remind me of Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Like, I love that story. John chapter 4. I love taking like new believers through the book of John because there's just some stuff that just jumps out really, really quickly. And you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. And that kind of makes me go, well, I'm glad. I'm glad we don't know what to do with it. But in John chapter 4, he meets the woman at the well midday. She's there because of shame and struggle and all of her sin stuff. And a lot of things transpire. Um, But then the disciples who were sent into Sychar to get food, they come back at noon. And the the disciples and Jesus, they had been walking since early, early that morning. And they were like, Jesus, you need to take some time to eat. He was like, I've got food you don't know about. And they're like, what? Somebody brought you food? He's like, no, no, no. My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. Look around. The fields, they're white with harvest. Man, we have to understand that the provision that we seek, provision that we seek, God will provide. He's it. Through Jesus, God will provide. Contentment, necessary. Contentment must be learned. But it must be learned with the idea that God will equip those who he calls to do every good work that we obediently do in faith, trusting in him the entire time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All those. The immediate context is talking about Paul on on this particular place with this particular time, but the broader context is just, man, if we are in obedience, following after Jesus, we don't have to worry about our stuff. If we're in obedience, following after Jesus, living out his mission day by day to the best of the supernatural ability that the Spirit of God has given us, we don't have to worry about our stuff. He will take care of us. And that, is, that might be our biggest exercise in faith next to salvation, trusting that God will provide. Because that's not our nature. Like, it's not our nature. That's not how jobs work. (laughs) It's not how credit works. It's not how owning a house works. It's not how building anything works, but it is how the gospel works, and it's how the mission works. And I think because the fact that it is so different and it is so other than, it makes it even more believable. I love it. So that's the section about those who might be on the receiving end. Let's let's hop, hop down just really quick to the next part that Paul was concerned about. In verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
For I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory and forever and ever. I think the thing that we need to understand is, yes, sometimes we'll be at the receiving end of trusting that God will provide, trusting that God will supply, but ultimately he is the provision, he is the supplication. But then there's the other side in which we're also called to contribute. We're called to give. Believe it or not, this is a discipleship matter. It's not a finance issue. This is not a budgeting issue. This is a trust issue. It's a, a life of a discipleship issue, being, to, being able to trust God with what he's called us to give away, not just what we're holding on to. And Paul, when he looks at the people of Philippi, he's like, I'm not so much concerned with what you've sent me, and what you sent me, man, that pleased God to a great degree, but, you know, I'm actually concerned with the fact that what you're giving goes to grow you. That doesn't make sense either. Most of the time, in order to grow, we need to take, we need to consume, we need to bury, we need to keep, we need to invest. But in this place, Paul's just saying, no, 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 what's growing you is what you're giving away. And by the way, we're, I'm not launching a capital campaign for anything within Origins right now. That, that's not what we're doing. I'm not asking you to give more. I'm not trying to elicit guilt to tell you that you're not giving enough. I'm telling you that as a life of a disciple, God asks us to trust him with that that we give away. He asked us to trust him. And when we do, what we see is that giving grows us. Giving grows us. Because again, it's that triangular relationship that I tried to confuse you with earlier. But it's not just about me. It's not just about the receiving party. But it is about God. He says, look, the thing that you sent me through Epaphroditus, who, by the way, traveled 8 to 12 months and it almost cost him his life getting here. And I'm sending him back now because he almost died. And you need to rejoice at his coming back. Like the thing that you sent through him and even him himself. And it was amazing. And the fact that you sacrificed it and the fact that you gave it to me, but ultimately you were giving to God, it was pleasing to God. It was pleasing to God. And I, I am glad to know, to see the byproduct of what is occurring. Your generosity, your giving in faith, your giving in obedience, it's serving to grow you. It's serving to be fruit to your account, fruit to your profit, fruit to your good. Not profit in their bank account, but profit in their growth as it relates to Jesus. Like, he's like, I'm grateful for it. That's what I'm more concerned with any, than anything. I, I appreciate that you sent me stuff, and that was great. But I'm more concerned with the fact that what you're giving reveals the fact that you're growing in your faith, growing in your relationship, growing in your understanding of what God's called us to do. Thank you for showing me that. Giving grows us. It's used for the kingdom, but when we let it go in trust and in faith and obedience to God, God uses it to grow us. Because number one, like how in the world will we ever uh, learn to trust God more than by giving something that we've worked incredibly hard for away and saying, God, I have no more control over it. I can't control where it goes. I can't control into what account that it goes into, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do something great with it. Even though the name on the check is not yours and it's not mine, it's someone else's. I'm going to trust you with it. We love our money. We do. We love our money. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying we do. That's just a statement of fact. We love our money, whether we got a lot or whether we got a little. We love it a lot. To let it go and to trust God to do with it whatever he wants, man, that's hard but so incredibly necessary. 
so hard, but so incredibly necessary. And I think that's why even if we go back and we look at the Old Testament, one of the first things that God put in place, even before the law, was giving to God. The first fruits. Caused our, you know, kind of our first man-on-man murder. What we gave, what we couldn't give, what we were willing to give. Cain and Abel, man, from the very heart of us, after sin entered the picture, our stuff was more important than people. From there, it just grew and grows. And we need to be aware of it, to know that the struggle that we fight against my stuff and against the mission of God, it's always going to be there. That battle, it's always going to be there. But God will grow us when we let go of it. He will grow us when we let go of it. When we're giving joyfully, sacrificially, regularly to the mission of God, it serves to build our faith and deepen our dependence on Him. I know that, like, I'll be honest, and I'm not trying to toot our horn, but, you know, God convicted us to give more than we probably could, like on paper, like my family. Like, I remember there were some years in which we didn't know what a budget was. We couldn't figure it out, and we didn't try, and it was horrible, and I still don't know how we made it. Like, when we were young, married, no kids, we were, we were dirt broke, but somehow we managed to eat, and I still don't understand how we did it. And then at some point, um, we, we changed things and got on a budget. We went the envelope system. We went hardcore. We did that stuff, and we got on a budget, and I was so mad when I couldn't buy a cup of coffee. Like, I was like, what do you mean it's not in the budget? That, <laughs> I work hard for my money. I mean, I'm, I was about to sing a country song. Like, I work hard for it, and I, I want to buy a cup of coffee. Um, but I remember that. But also in that time, too, we're like, before that, like, we wouldn't plan to be generous. We wouldn't budget to be generous. We wouldn't do that. And so we would just kind of give reactionary instead of plan ahead to give. And we would get behind, and then we'd try to catch up. We'd get frantic. We'd be like, oh, we didn't tithe for the last two months. If we add $73 for the next 76 paychecks, we'll get caught up by the year 2025. We'll be fine. You know, things like that. But then at some point when we just stopped and we said, no, 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 as soon as it comes in, we give it out. Like as soon as it comes in, before we have a chance to spend it, before we have a chance to save it, before we have a chance to do anything, we give it back out. And we give a percentage that, yes, it hurts. Like to be honest, like at the time, we were like, ah, ah we, yep, let's just do it. Like, it's always worked. It's always worked. And man, I, I, the, the one thing that I miss is because we're a digital, mostly digital church and it's all online. Like, I miss writing that check and putting it in the box. We do have a box in which you can drop a check and drop money. You can drop coins. The bank won't take them until it adds up to be a whole dollar, which I think is pretty weird because not even banks like coins these days. But either way, like, I think that's crazy. But we have a box, but I, I miss, like I do, like I miss writing that check and scribbling my name and praying over that check. Uh, before we gave it in. And maybe we should start doing that again because I do miss it. Um, But like, to be honest, this whole thing right here of just like God will grow your faith, he did. He allowed us to trust him when we gave more than we could afford. He allowed us to trust him and just believe exactly what Paul says. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He always has. Which leads me to believe that he always will. God doesn't make sense. And I feel I am completely okay with saying that. The ways of God are not the ways of men, and they're completely, radically different. And it's not the way that I would make things work, because I would love for people to prove themselves for me before I died for them. I would love to receive a check before I wrote one. God asked us to trust him. He asked us to trust him with what we have, with what we don't have, with the mission at hand, and then he asked us to trust him with what we give away. And it all comes down to this one little phrase. He's worthy.
He's worthy. Worthy of what I've got. Worthy of what I don't. Worthy of what I'm going to give away. He's worthy. And his mission requires it. It's crazy. And it's awesome. If you, if you fight the battle of contentment, there are tons of people within this family that would love to talk to you. I would love to have coffee with you. I'm, I'm leaving Wednesday morning, but I'll be back Monday so we can set it up. My wife would love to talk to you. Any of our elders and their wives, um, our staff, your community group leaders, which are about to launch in like a week and a half, we'd love to talk to you. The struggle with contentment's real. It's so real. If you struggle with holding on so tightly that you can't let God do anything with it, man, let's talk. This is a discipleship issue. It's not a budgeting issue. We want to grow in our relationship and our walk with Jesus. And sometimes the best way to do that is just open our hands and just let go. Let's help you figure out how to do that. And again, I promise, I'm not saying that because I want to see our, our budget increase. I promise. God's taking care of us. Now, if you are a part of this faith family, there is plenty of biblical direction that says you give of your first fruits. And I do believe that there's the strongest case possible that we give that through the local church. And we can talk about that. But that's not why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this, that as disciples who follow after Jesus and seek to love him through our obedience, it's just something we do. It's something we do. Um, let me pray. And then we'll have some announcements. And we'll, we also have communion, um, which we'll talk about. God, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that through you we can be content. Not just patient, not just waiting for more, but God, being completely okay and satisfied with what we have right now. For your mission, for your glory, for your good, so that others may have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to your gospel. And so that we may grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are and who you've made us to be. God, for those in our family today that, are, that just struggle with holding on so tightly to every penny, God, I've been there, I completely understand. Struggle with a desire for more, I've been there, I completely understand, and some days I'm still there. Father, I pray you'd do a work. I pray that your spirit would renovate our hearts and our bank accounts and the way that we think about generosity. God, the way that we think about trusting you in the moment and in our life. And God, I pray that you would show us, reveal to us, um, God, that in the scope of these things, we can do anything that you've called us to do regardless of how much we have. Regardless of how much we have or don't have. Uh, you, are our, you are our provision. You are our provision. Thank you for being enough. God, today as we celebrate communion, I pray, God, you would remind us um, of why and who we worship. Um, and God, today you would just continue to draw us closer to you. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.